Words, so, so powerful. God showed up in the flesh. Good, good news to share with the world. Let's just pray for a moment. God, thank you so much. We adore you. We've come here into your presence today. We're so thankful that we get to be together to worship you. We're so grateful for Christmas Day. Thank you for all the fun parts of it that are part of our traditions, but thank you most of all for the presence of Christ in this world, still through the power of your spirit, and, and yet to come again a second time to bring us salvation and wholeness. We love you. We offer ourselves fully to you. We give you the control. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's uh, Christmas morning, and I thought that... Um, Maybe in some family traditions, uh, a story is read, um, the Christmas story, or some other uh, story. I'm going to read you this morning a story from um, uh, Michael Lindvell. It's uh, good news from North Haven, a little book here, and it's a, there's a section of this book. It's called The Christmas Pageant. We'll, I'm going to read that, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. But um, just settle back and, and listen to this Christmas story. The Christmas pageant is over. It was, in the end, wonderful, and now that it is past, my blood pressure and, in fact, the church's communal blood pressure have dropped about 20 points. We got through it again without schism and with no divorces. None of the kids got grounded this year, but it was close. The whole saga of the Christmas pageant really began precisely 47 Christmases ago, when Alvina Johnson first directed Second Presbyterian's Children's Christmas Pageant, something that she continued to do through 10 pastors, nine U.S. presidents, three wars, and who knows how many Christian education committees for the next 46 years, but not this year, and that's the story. International alliances came and went. Wars were fought, peace was made, ministers were called and then called away, but Alvina Johnson directing the children's Christmas pageant was like a great rock in a turbulent sea. Alvina, or Mrs. Johnson, although there is no Mr. Johnson, this Mrs. Johnson uh, had married a Mr. Johnson, but they had only lasted for three and a half weeks 49 years ago. A few days shy of their one-month wedding anniversary, Mr. Johnson, nobody actually remembers his first name, left, although Elvina never puts it that way. She prefers to say, he just ran off to Minneapolis, with the accent on Minneapolis as if it were that notorious place, and Mr. Johnson's morally feeble nature had lured him away from wife and home rather than anything having to do with Elvina. Nobody here really talks about why he left. They all know already, just as they know why rain falls down and grass grows up. One might call Elvina stubborn, but that word isn't quite enough. Elvina is intractable, intransigent, unmovable. This, everybody assumes, Mr. Johnson easily discovered in the space of three and a half weeks. When folks around here got put out with Elvina, who was disguised as a sweet and demure 70-year-old lady, 
They refer to her, under their breath, of course, as the iron butterfly. <laughs> but Alvina does what she does, always, exactly, and forever. 47 years ago, somebody asked her to do the Christmas pageant. She said yes. They didn't say, would you do the Christmas pageant this year? So Alvina, who is a literalist in all things, assumed that they meant forever. And she is a woman of her word. Alvina's pageants always had precisely nine characters. One Mary, one Joseph, three wise men, two shepherds, one angel, and one narrator. The script was simply the Christmas story out of the King James Bible, which did mean that two six-year-old shepherds had to learn to say, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. <laughs> Auditions for the nine parts were held the last Sunday afternoon in October for 46 years. Rehearsals for the nine lucky winners were held for the next five Sunday afternoons. Alvina's goal was nothing less than perfection in Christmas pageantry. Perfect lines, perfect pacing, blocking, enunciation, perfect everything, which is not easily achieved with little children, even nine carefully selected ones. Critics said that Alvina would have much preferred working with nine little person actors if she could have gotten away with it. Time and again, people tried to get Alvina to open things up so that every kid who wanted a part could have one. Alvina, they would say, Scripture says that there was a heavenly host, not just one lonely angel. Alvina, why not a few more shepherds? Then everybody could be in the pageant. Or Alvina, if there were shepherds, there had to be sheep, right? We'll, we'll put some cute little woolly sheep outfits on the three and four-year-olds. No, she answered. Too many youngsters, too many problems. Early in the fall, however, something happened that deflected the inertia of nearly half a century of always doing it the way it had always been done. The Christmas Education Committee included the three young mothers of last year's rejected Mary, Joseph, and wise man number two. And these young mothers pulled off what they call in Central America a coup d'etat. At their September meeting, they passed the following motion, quote, resolved, all children who wish to be in the Christmas pageant may do so, parts will be found, unquote. Alvina heard about it that night and was in my office the next morning at nine o'clock sharp. She began by asking me if I thought the decorations on the Christmas tree in the church parlor were appropriate. I hadn't noticed them, I said. Well, she informed me, they were walnut shells decorated to look like little mice with tiny stocking caps on their heads. What, she asked, do mice have to do with the birth of our Lord? Now, I knew this wasn't the problem. I, too, had heard about the committee meeting the night before. What's the matter, Alvina, I asked. Young mothers, she said. She spit those two words out as though young mother was an illicit occupation. <laughs> young mothers, she continued, who have no knowledge 
of or experience in the proper direction of a Christmas pageant. Young mothers are behind those walnut shell mice, and they are behind the destruction of the Christmas pageant. She then resigned as director and said, if these young mothers know so much, let them try to do it themselves. She was angry, maybe even angry enough to quit the church and become a Methodist. (laughs) But she didn't. I suspect she wanted to hang around at least long enough to see the young mothers fall flat on their faces. The pageant was last week. The young mothers didn't fall flat on their faces, but the pageant was, well, different from what everybody had come to expect over the last 46 years. It seemed as as though there was a cast of thousands, even though the actual number was around 50 or so, which was every kid in the church up to about eighth grade. After that age, they would sooner die than get dressed up in their father's bathrobe and pretend to be a biblical character. (laughs) There must have been a dozen shepherds and 10 angels, a veritable heavenly host. Then there were the sheep, a couple dozen three-, four-, and five-year-olds who had on woolly fake sheepskin vests with woolly hoods and their dad's black socks pulled up on their arms and legs. (laughs) The pageant was a lot of things, but smooth it wasn't. And one of the chief problems was these very sheep. Now, in suburban Christmas pageants, I imagine sheep are well-behaved and fairly quiet, but suburban kids have seldom seen real sheep. The only sheep most suburban kids have seen are on the front of a Sunday church bulletin cover, peaceful, grazing sheep who just stand there and look cute and cuddly. But half of the kids here live on farms. They've seen real sheep, many of them. They know that sheep don't just stand there. They know that sheep don't often follow directions. They know that sheep are dumb. They know that all sheep want to do is eat. So when the young mothers casually instructed the two dozen sheep to act like sheep, they really should have known better. Some of the sheep started to do a remarkable imitation of grazing behind the communion table. Some wandered over by the choir to graze and others went down the center aisle. Some of them had donuts they found in the church parlor to make their grazing look even more realistic. When one of the shepherds tried to herd them a bit with his shepherd's crook, some of the sheep spooked and started to scatter, just like real sheep do. Everybody knows that's how sheep act. It was, in fact, a remarkable imitation of true sheep behavior, even though a bit out of the ordinary for a Christmas pageant. Now, Alvina was watching all this from the last pew of the sanctuary. I could just see her from where I was sitting, And as the sheep spooked and scattered with much imitation bleeding, Alvina looked down to hide a smirk. Young mothers, I'm sure she was thinking, if they know so much, let them try to direct the Christmas pageant. The real climax of imprecision came, however, at that point of high drama when Mary and Joseph enter, Mary clutching a baby doll in a blue blanket. This year's Mary whose name was actually Mary, was taking her role with an intense and pious seriousness. 
She looked into the face of the doll in her arms with eyes that really seemed to see the infant Christ. Joseph was another story. He had gotten the part because he had been rejected from Christmas pageant participation by Alvina Johnson more times than any other kid in church history. With good reason, some might say. Anyway, Mary and Joseph were to walk on as the narrator read, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. At least that's what the narrator was supposed to read. It was what the narrator had read at the rehearsal, but a few hours before the performance, one of the young mothers had observed that none of the children could much understand King James English, so they voted in their ongoing mood of revolutionary fervor to switch to the Good News translation of the Bible for the performance. What kid knows what great with child means, for instance, they asked. The Good News translation is much more direct at this point. So as Mary and Joseph entered, the narrator read, Joseph went to register with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him. She was pregnant. As that last word echoed from the narrator through the PA system in the full church, our little Joseph, hearing it, froze in his tracks, gave Mary an incredulous look, peered out at the congregation, and said, Pregnant? What do you mean, pregnant? <laughs> this, of course, brought the whole house down. My wife, wiping tears from her eyes, leaned over to me and said, you know, that very, very well may have been what Joseph really said. <laughs> Alvina was now wearing a look that simply broadcast. I told you so. But as the pageant wound into its closing tableau and the church lights were dimmed for the singing of Silent Night, a couple of magical and I would allow miraculous things happened. The sheep, when they had finished with their part, bleated their way down the aisle to, visit, to sit in the last couple of pews to watch the end of the pageant. And of course, Alvina was in the last pew and suddenly found herself surrounded by a little herd of three, four, and five-year-olds in sheep outfits. It was late and the church was warm and the sheep were drowsy. I glanced over at Alvina as the wise men were exiting and the organ was softly playing the melody of Silent Night. The sheep in the pew on either side of Alvina had fallen asleep and were resting their fake wool heads on her shoulders something they would feel comfortable doing with any grown-up in the church. As the church went dark for the singing of Silent Night, we could see also what was happening outside for the last hour. The first real snow of the winter was falling. Big, fat snowflakes floated down and covered everything with a white, uniform perfection. As we, little kids and grown-ups, saw it, there was a spontaneous and corporate, ah, we sang, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. 
It was very softly that we sang, and all the sheep were quiet, even the ones that were awake. And everybody looked at the snow. It was as if flakes of grace were falling, falling free out of heaven and blessing the muddy earth with purity, a whiteness covering the dirt and the shoddiness with perfection. When the carol was finished, no one stirred for a long time. It wasn't planned, but we all just sat there and watched. It seemed like an eternity. It was probably a couple minutes. But then Minnie McDowell broke the spell. She's hard of hearing and always talks too loud. She meant to whisper to her husband, but everybody heard it instead. Perfect, she said. Just perfect. (laughs) So it was. Not perfect in the way Alvina's pageants tried to make things perfect but perfect in the way God makes things perfect. God accepts our fumbling attempts at performance, at love and fairness, and then covers them with grace. I think the moment may have even touched the iron butterfly. Minnie said that Elvina mentioned to her that if they needed any more sheep outfits for next year, she could perhaps find time to make a few. And now in the spirit of that great Christmas pageant, let me read to you a few verses from Luke chapter 2. Verses that should sound very familiar. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Speak to us this morning. Amen. Just a few quick thoughts about this passage of scripture and reflection back on Alvina Johnson and her greatness. This uh, passage has three events which are mentioned that all have to do with one thing, a total loss of control. First of all, is Caesar Augustus ordering a census to be taken of the entire Roman world, the big guy far away, just decides, I want to know how many people are in the empire. And millions of common people's lives are changed, including Joseph and Mary's, who must respond like everybody else and go to the place that they are connected to. Since Joseph is originally from Bethlehem, it's back there that he has to go. And since Mary is his engaged uh, to, be, uh, to be wife, 
she goes with him. Somebody somewhere else directs their very path to the place where Jesus is born. Secondly, Mary is expecting a baby. Pregnant? What do you mean, pregnant? Here's a young woman who is, of course, going to be ostracized because of her pregnancy before marriage. And this is the most inconvenient time. No mother will be around, no aunts, no sisters, no midwives that they know. Everyone they know is about 60 miles to the north. And here this young couple must go with her in the ninth month, the extreme lateness of her pregnancy, and go to a new town and have the baby there. But not only are they forced to move, and not only is she forced to do it at a really inconvenient time, but also this simple line, she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We realize, if we think about it, the shocking nature of that. She places him in a feeding trough. She has the child in a cave that sits in Bethlehem, the traditional site if you go there and visit, a stable where animals were kept, a place where uh, in our own children's Christmas program, I love the fact that this was done, people walked down the aisles with real uh, cow manure, stirring it in buckets. And we all went, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, that's right. That's where Mary gave birth. We've got a lot of new babies in the congregation this year. I'm glad none of them had to be born in a barn or a cave. Wow. Three things which show the lack of control. Three elements which just ooze with out of control. And yet they are key to God's plan. Jesus needs to be born. God needs to come himself and save humanity. Anything short of that will not do. And so a young mother is found and she's the one who will bear the Christ child. And Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem because that's what the prophet Micah wrote hundreds of years before. And so in a seemingly disconnected sweep of the swipe of the pen, Caesar Augustus declares that people must be counted and Joseph and Mary are sent directly to where Jesus is to be born, according to the prophet. And also, Jesus needs to be accessible. He needs to be a person that we can all relate to. He needs to be a king that we can say he, he's somebody that, that we can connect to. And so he's born in a place where even the most lowly of people can have that sense, I can relate to him. Born in a stable like the poor of this world. Well, Alvina and I, and maybe some of you, would like to control this story a little better, would like to control our lives a little better, would like to have the perfect 
life pageant, not just Christmas pageant, but just when you try to do things like that, Joseph's without filters and unruly sheep, they just have a way of bursting that bubble of life being perfect. I love a good Christmas. I love it with family or friends and food and worship services and music and decorations and presents and it all working together in a beautiful sequence. But you know what? Even if Christmas worked really well for you this year, I know that in all parts of life, it doesn't work this well. And sometimes it's even Christmas that doesn't work that way too. You know, it's even better than controlling your life. God being in control of your life. When God's in control, things like the perfect plan for the salvation of all humankind happen. Not just a perfect Christmas morning or pageant or whatever. People's lives aren't made easier by God's plans, but they're made greater, greater because just ordinary people are incorporated into God's plans. And he uses people like us to just bring about amazing things. People like you and me just doing our daily tasks, living our lives, responding to requirements put upon us by higher authorities, raising families, working at jobs, just going about life. And in the midst of all that, God works in powerful ways. And for us, most helpful is to have an attitude that says, God, you're in control. You get to call the shots. I'm going to be faithful to just live my, my life and be surrendered to you. I'm going to feed myself spiritually. I'm going to do all the things I know I should do. But God, finally, when it comes down to it, I can't control things. I can't make it perfect. I've tried to do that, and frankly, I stink at it. I'm going to let go, God. I'm going to let you do your work. More than anything, friends, that is an attitude of freedom, a true Christmas attitude, an attitude that lets it all come at you and you just faithfully plot on and find out that in the midst of it, God has saved the world. An attitude that Alvina came around to and an attitude that I hope all of us can come around to as well. Let's let God rule this world and let's be faithful to follow him. Merry Christmas, everyone.